May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Good morning, St. John's. It's nice to be with you this morning. Because of the way the liturgy began outside in the courtyard, Heather didn't have a chance to introduce me. If we have not yet met, I'd like to take a minute just to introduce myself. My name is Stephen Hassett, and in 2008, I became the associate clergy on staff here at St. John's, before Heather, before Ginger. And I worked here until 2014, when I went away to become the rector of St. Stephen's Church in Orinda where I served for eight years until last August when I took an opportunity to join the faculty at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, which is the Episcopal Church's seminary in Berkeley, my alma mater. And so I've been serving uh, as director of chapel and campus chaplain at CDSP since last August. Hi. <laughs> and uh, very much enjoying it. And it's good to be with you this morning. And I'm offering all that partly by way of just telling those of you who don't know me a little bit about me, so you have a little bit of context, but also because it's my understanding that what we're doing here together is what we're doing here together. And it matters that we know each other. And even if you only know me a little tiny bit now, at least it's better than not knowing me at all before we proceed together with what it is that we're doing here this morning. And as much as I would love to give each of you the chance to stand up and introduce yourselves, I think it might take too long. So I'm just going to take it on faith that I know enough about you by virtue of the fact that you're here this morning to trust that you and I are here more or less for the same reason and that we can proceed together doing what it is that we came here to do. And I really want to lean into and emphasize that idea because sometimes in the culture of the church and the inheritance that we have with our customs and our ways and even the architecture of the building, it might appear that what's happening right now is that I'm lecturing to you as if to tell you what to think, what to believe, or what was true about the story that we just participated in together. The fact is, what's really happening is that we are all making this happen together. Me and you and everybody here, and in conjunction with all other Christians throughout the world who on this same day are celebrating this same holy season of Holy Week. Participating in, by way of remembering and locating ourselves in the story that is going to save the world. So what we're going to do this morning is spend a little time thinking about that story, and there's way too much to talk about, way too much to consider, way too much to say, so I'm going to do two things. I'm going to set the stage as much as I can for what's happening this week and why I think it matters for us, and strongly encourage you, strongly encourage you to come back on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday, and on Sunday. Because this story keeps going. There's more to it, and more ways for you to be part of it, and to see the truth of it appearing not in the past, in the texts of scripture, but in your actual lives, right now, today. 
So in my role at CDSP, I also teach one class to third year MDiv students who are on their way to being ordained. The class is called Leadership for Ministry. And what that class is supposed to do is help those students connect the dots between all the other learning that they've done in theology and in history and in scripture and in liturgy and help equip and prepare them for working in their ministry context. Among the texts that I chose for that class is this book I brought with me this morning. It's called Community, The Structure of Belonging by a guy named Peter Block. Peter Block is a consultant and he works with organizations large and small to help them better understand how to pursue their mission in the world. Churches are organizations that have a mission and they're trying to pursue that mission. And sometimes churches employ consultants like Peter Block to help them better understand how they are organizing to pursue their mission in the world. And I love this book and I offer it to my students because I want them to have more tools to better lead the communities that they're going to serve when they're ordained and working in a ministry context. And there's a lot of things about this book that stand out and I wanna offer one and then another. And the first is that Block says that the means by which we pursue our goals are part of how we achieve our goals. The means by which we pursue our goals are part of how we achieve our goals. As an example, a small example, he talks about working with healthcare organizations who convene conferences and then offer high fat, high sugar snacks to the people who attend those conferences. <laughs> the means by which we pursue our goals are part of how we achieve our goals. Why, he asks, do healthcare organizations offer high fat, high sugar snacks to the participants at their conference, you see it undermines the means by which they are pursuing their goals, or it's not consistent with the goal. And I mention that because it's true that the liturgy in which we are participating today, and when you come back on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday, when you do those things, you'll be participating in a pattern of worship that was laid down in the fourth century by somebody who understood that the means by which we pursue our goals are part of how we achieve our goals. In the fourth century, Christianity became more or less a religion that the Roman Empire stopped persecuting and sanctified and lifted up. So lots of people were curious about that religion. They flocked to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover and the commemoration of Holy Week and Easter because they themselves wanted to be in the places to experience the things that they'd heard in the stories about Jesus in his, in his last week where he fulfilled his divine mission on earth. Pilgrims flocked from all the corners of the Roman Empire and they landed in Jerusalem and it was liturgical chaos. And Cyril, who was the bishop of Jerusalem at the time said, why don't we organize these liturgies? Why don't we create a way for people to participate together in an orderly and meaningful way in the story of Jesus and his arrival in Jerusalem, in his betrayal, his arrest, his condemnation, and his execution? Why don't we do things on purpose in an orderly way? Because, Cyril said, the means by which we pursue our goals help us to achieve our goals. So we're participating in the outcome 
of somebody's observation that when we gather together to do something, the way we do it helps us to receive its benefits. And that touches on what I said earlier, and I would like for you to think of yourselves as deeply participating in these liturgies and not just observing them being led by others. And now I'm going to do something else with this book, is I'm actually going to read some of Peter Block's words. This is something I, this is a unique event, y'all. <laughs> I never read other people's words in my sermons, but I'm going to today because it'll help us understand something of the story that we're part of. In chapter 15 of this book, Peter Block, the chapter is titled, The End of Unnecessary Suffering. Because that's the kind of consultant that Peter Block is. He works with organizations that are addressing suffering in the world, like churches are. As I work to create the reconciliation and end to suffering that I am committed to, the extent of the pain running through our communities keeps commanding my attention. I want to make a distinction about this pain. It is the difference between human and suffering. Human suffering is the pain that is inherent in being alive. Isolation, loneliness, illness, abandonment, loss of meaning, sadness, and finally, I think, death. These are unavoidable. They are going to happen to each of us, and try as we may, there is nothing we can do to prevent them. We have infinite choice how to respond to this kind of human suffering. But it is part of the deal, and is what gives vitality, meaning, and texture to a life. I wonder, in the story about Jesus that we just participated in, I wonder if we saw any examples of that kind of human suffering being told. If we saw examples of isolation, loneliness, illness, abandonment, loss of meaning, sadness, and death. I wonder if in your own life you have ever experienced any of that kind of suffering. If so, it means that this story is part of you, and you are part of this story. Block goes on to write, the other kind of pain is political suffering. This is avoidable and unnecessary suffering. Some of the avoidable suffering is very visible. Poverty, homelessness, hunger, violence, the diaspora of those unable to return to their homeland, a deteriorated housing project, or a neighborhood in distress. There is also political suffering that is more subtle. People's learned dependency, internalized oppression, the absence of possibility, the powerlessness that breeds violence, imperialism, and a disregard for the worth of a human being. I'm calling this political suffering because I believe it grows out of human choice. Human choice to sustain a world of imbalance, surplus on one side and great scarcity on the other. This is a political choice, but not political in an electoral sense. It is not politics as in conservative or liberal, left or right, I'm referring to politics as the choices we make about the distribution of power and control and the mindset that underlies those choices. I wonder, in the story that we heard about Jesus, whether we saw any of those 
dynamics of political suffering being expressed, anything about power and control and the mindset that underlies human choices that preserve inequity in the world? If so, this story is speaking to us. I wonder if we see any of those dynamics of political suffering playing out in our own world, whether there is inequity, injustice, an imbalance, and the preservation of the lack of dignity for a human life. I wonder if we think those two arise out of human choices. I wonder, then, whether we think we might have anything to do with those choices. And I would propose that the reason that we're all here this morning is because we think we do, and because we want ourselves to be as equipped as possible to help to make choices that correct those injustices, that restore dignity to the places where it has been deprived or abandoned, that heal injuries. We want to be the kind of people that make choices that are bringing around and into fruition the kind of world we would like to have for ourselves, but also for everyone else. And I would propose that this is precisely the intention of the story of Jesus in Holy Week, and where he asks us to go, and what the story invites us to imagine, not only as observers, as though reading a story about something that happened a long time ago to a specific set of people far, far away, but as fellow participants making the story. The one mistake we can make, the one mistake we can make encountering and participating in this story is to imagine that it doesn't have anything to do with us. The one mistake we can make would be to exempt ourselves from participating in these dynamics of pain and of healing that Bloch identifies as human or political and and to think that those two spheres don't have anything to do with each other. In the story of Jesus, which reveals the story of ourselves, the personal is political. The human pain and the human suffering that is inevitable is deeply connected to the choices that we make about political power that are unnecessary and avoidable. That's why the story of Jesus in Jerusalem is a story both of human suffering and of political power. And to address them together is to participate fully in the life that God intends for us. I also want to, uh, I don't want to give away the ending of the story. <laughs> but I want to revisit the message that I delivered a little bit earlier to say there is more to the story which is why I really want you to come back on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday and hear what else it is that God is doing in your life and participate in all the ways that Jesus leads us in so that we may fruitfully cultivate and nurture the same spirit in us that was in him and which allowed him to encounter all those different kinds of pain not without resistance, not without difficulty, but faithfully trusting that God had more to give and was going to be there to give it. So don't miss out 
on your chance to receive those things that God has given and will continue to give. Lean into this painful, difficult story. Walk through it with each other and with Jesus and come to the joyful surprise that waits for you at the end. Amen.